whichever is the first one of us to die, we can we can play the episode That's... at the at the wake. Oh God! <laughs> yeah. So one of us is inadvertently speaking to everybody else from beyond the grave. Oh, it's going to be me, isn't it? Well, then you've got much much better back catalogue. You can choose literally any any episode you want. I can take it on as a project. Oh, right, you're going to... ruin it. It's what he would have wanted. (laughs) I don't talk about history. (laughs) Yeah, I think it all depends on if Harry's new roofing job takes off. (laughs) (laughs) If that takes off, I think we know which one's going to... Gonna oh, pop his clogs first. I don't want to think about that. I don't want this to be used as like an artifact in that way. It'd be nice to hear someone else's someone's voice. What after they've died? Yeah, yeah. Well, it depends what we're talking about. Oh God, if it's me, and you're listening to this right now at my funeral. Oh, that's weird. We've gone meta. That's yeah. yeah. Hey, up, guys, and welcome to this week's episode of Consistently Eccentric. Now, for some reason, I can't seem to load the normal intro, but it does give me an opportunity to explain that the voice you're hearing alongside me this week is my older brother, Tom. I don't think I actually mentioned that anywhere else in the episode today. Anyway, as I don't have my normal music, let's get started. This story started in the 1600s. Okay. It was late evening on June 26th, 1613, when John Hitchell returned to a small cottage he shared with his wife, child, and elderly mother-in-law. Although given the time period we're talking about, elderly was anything over 50. Right, okay. The, ch- the chances of her actually being what we consider today to be elderly, I, I don't think she was getting there. John was a carpenter by trade, and since sunrise had been working in the house of a wealthy local merchant. He was in Southampton, I should point out actually. It's all taking place in Southampton. Uh, As a result of having worked from sunrise, as soon as he got home, he announced that he was indeed knackered uh, and went straight to bed. Didn't even have any tea. Okay. So how many hours, what kind of shifts he put in him? Well, sunrise to getting back. I mean, I'm guessing till sundown. And we're in, what, June? So it's going to be a long old day, that. Right, okay. Yeah, so he's he's done these kind of... 15 hours? Yeah, hours? you know, just a normal shift for a poor person. Okay. Kind of shift that you... An honest 16 yeah, an hours honest work. 16 hours okay. of labour. Um, Lunch he... break? No. You'd eat on the job, I'm sure. Right, okay. I don't think they were factored in. Maybe if you were lucky, someone would sort of look the other way while you ate something. Plus, the other thing is, you know, you're the guy who's employed you. Mm. He's not going to be up at six o'clock in the morning. No. Do you know no. what I mean? So I think... He's probably not going to be on site. He's a merchant. He's probably got people to do the actual moving of stock and the stuff. And he just sits at his house and watches his money grow. But if you wanted to swing the lead a little bit, you probably... As long as the job's done, he doesn't know how long it's going to take to make that. That's true. Um, okay. So we'll, we'll change it. John was a carpenter by trade and he'd started work at sunrise, finished around midday and then just pretended for the rest of the day because he didn't really want to go home because okay. his mother-in-law was living with them and the place was tense and eventually having been to the pub mm-hmm. he came back with a skinful announced he'd been working and he was too tired yeah he was and too he needed tired. to go straight to bed yeah right okay that that's just as viable because to be honest we don't have any sort of eyewitnesses to say what he was doing okay so he was eventually joined in the bed by his wife and their daughter the mother-in-law who's called agnes russell she had a separate bed 
luckily. But it was in the same room, which must have been awkward on the night the child was conceived. How old is the child? We don't get to know that. Okay. It's a, it's a little girl. Uh, I'm just trying to think how you'd get around that. I mean... You'd send Agnes out with a couple of shillings to the gin shop and just be like, go on. <laughs> go on. It's, it's date night, come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. We're letting you, you... You're living with us, but come on. We're a married couple. Piss off. Over the course of the night, a storm blew in, right. bringing thunder and lightning. Yeah, I know what a storm is. Yeah. It was quite windy as well. <laughs> okay. There was some rain, I believe. It woke Agnes with such a jolt that she thought she'd been hit by something and she screamed out in terror for her daughter to come and help her. Strangely, though, it didn't appear that anyone in the other bed had stirred at her screams at all. No one had even sort of heard it and turned over pointedly. Like like, like there was something wrong over there. See, when we were discussing me doing this, mm. we said that you said, what kind of thing would you like? And I kind of said, I'm quite sciencey. Yeah. And if this turns out to be some sort of paranormal <laughs> episode. Yeah. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Is it paranormal? You've gone a bit red. No. <laughs> oh, no. It's, it's not paranormal. This is exa- This is the opposite of what I ordered. <laughs> and annoyed that her family had ignored her, Agnes stomped over to the other bed and shook her daughter, only to find that she was burned all down one side of her body. The side of her body that had been facing her husband, John. This was because... Is this spontaneous combustion? John was dead and burning slowly from the inside out. Is this I... spontaneous combustion? I'm just telling you the story of poor old John. It I've, might, it I've, might he- be. I've heard about... Okay, go on, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it is spontaneous <laughs> combustion. <laughs> right, okay. Agnes managed to drag her daughter to safety, but unfortunately it was too late to save her granddaughter who had also perished by the unnatural heat that had consumed John. Not quite knowing what to do, uh, the two women dragged John's body out into the street, figuring, well, at least the house won't burn down. (laughs) (laughs) Little wins. Yeah, well, at that point, you're taking what you can get, aren't you? Uh, Where it continued to burn over the course of the next three days, until it was reduced to ashes and a few jagged hunks of bone. As the story goes... From 1613. Okay. This is, though, the first purported case of spontaneous human combustion in the UK. Okay. Now, not to look silly, you said purported? Yeah. Is that a word? Yes. Right, okay. So what makes that different from using the word reported? Nothing particularly. Right, okay. That's fine. I just decided to use a different word. Thanks for pointing that out. I'll never (laughs) use it again. Okay. Apparently, it sounds weird. Um, Why, why Why use... Simple words when, you know, there's a word that sounds a bit like it that no one's ever heard of. Well, there's one podcast I listen to, and the way that they always describe a source is they, they always say, by reports. Okay. And that strikes me as odd. Right, okay. say, by reports, this person did this. And I always think it was reported that, or it was purported that, but that's, yeah. You just, you, you get into your own mannerisms, don't you? And thanks for pointing out my flaws. It's like I use, so, um, I... You kind of sometimes use words to just like impress people, mm. and I, when I was doing a, um, like a module, if you like, um, and had to send an assignment in, I'd done a lot of reading mm. around this particular topic, and quite a few um, of these 
what's the word? My brain's not working. It's because I can hear myself speak. Mm. This is the weird, it's very weird with these headphones on. Um, so yeah, so when I was reading the literature, that's the word I'm looking yep. for around all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, lots of people were using the word paucity. Yeah. Which yeah. basically means a lack, a lack of, of, yeah. And they were saying like a paucity of evidence and all this kind of stuff. And basically I kind of cherry picked that and several other words that I've never used, used since. Because, because I thought, well, they sound really kind of academic words. Mm. And if I put them in my um, my assignment, you know, then it'll kind of give it a little bit more credibility, you know, kind of using the lingo. Well, at least you'd seen, seen the words in context. What a lot of people tend to do is they'll sort of use the word they normally use, just bring up the thesaurus app mm. and go, right, well, that word means the same thing. It's like, well, kind of, yeah. But the context is very important, and it, it, the context can make or break whether you're going to sound like an absolute idiot with that word. Yeah, I'm thinking Joey from Friends. Yeah, yeah. With the, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, large aortic pumps. Yes, yeah. baby kangaroo <laughs> triviani. <laughs> so, poor old John Hitchell. We'll get back to John. Okay. He may have been the first, but he was far from the last person to have died in this unbelievable manner. Right. Reports came in regularly from all across Western Europe, and it is kind of um, a, a European phenomena. It started to happen in America when Europeans colonised America, but the rest of the world, not so much. You don't get a lot of um, spontaneous human combustion over, you know, in sort of like the Eastern countries. So it's Western diets. <clears throat> well, that's a good theory. We'll, we'll see. Burgers. And... Yeah. yeah. So um, people were spontaneously dying after bursting into flames. It kind of evolved as well, because at first the stories were somebody would vomit flames and then fall down dead, which okay. is pretty cool. But then it, it turned to, we'd just open someone's door and there'd just be a pile of ash. And it was kind of by inference, oh, they must have just caught fire. See, the, the, the latter screams to me of somebody trying to dispose of a body. Because if that's flying around and you want to kind of, you know, get rid of somebody, then... Burn the body and then just say, oh, there's a pile of ash. They must have ah, spontaneously these, combusted. Yeah, these people wouldn't have... Um, well, I guess it didn't matter so much back then, but one of the things about spontaneous human combustion is there's no accelerant used. So it's like, for it to be considered a case, there'd be no accelerant. But I guess, you know, I don't know what forensics were like in 1650, but I'm guessing they weren't going, oh, let's do a chemical... Uh, co- let's f- figure out the chemical composition of the ash, see if there was anything aside from human. I think you just have a bit of a sniff. <laughs> <laughs> And whatever the equivalent of petrol was at the time, if you could if you could smell that, then uh, you kind of bang to rights. Yeah. Well, there were theories flying around about what was causing it. Okay. And in 1667, a German physicist called Johann Joachim Beecher, he suggested that there was a basic element that caused things to combust called phlogiston. <laughs> right. I don't know why right. that's funny, but okay. According to Johan, the reason that all animals breathe... Is that with a soft J? Johan. I'm guessing Johan. It's J-O-H-A-N-N. Johan. The reason that all animals breathe is in order to expel this substance. And cases of combustion occurred when some unknown disease prevented this from happening. So you get a build-up in your system. Okay. And it build up eventually to dangerous levels. And then you're just just like a, a keg of, you know gunpowder you're ready to go off at anything if you shake too much you're just gonna so that was his theory right yeah, uh, it's, it's an all right it's a good start yeah isn't it? and to be honest one of the things that it did cover but having said that actually this might be jumping the gun a little bit mm. 
actually, no, I'll leave it till the end because otherwise I think I'm going to kind of... You're going to solve it? No, I'm not going to solve it. But okay, well, I'll ask the question, but you don't have to give me an answer. Yeah. Right? So we're saying that, you know, he's come up with this theory. Yes. But I'm guessing that when he gets to the end of this... Flodgerson no, doesn't exist. Well, it's not the fact that Flodgerson doesn't exist. It's the fact that probably nobody has come up with the definitive theory of what's happened anyway. In which case, you can't really have a go at him because, you know, we've given it a good few hundred years extra and actually no one's come up with a theory, you know, with a... I mean, I think we've moved on a, we've moved on a little and in some ways we've actually regressed, but you'll you'll see why. Okay. I mean, the one thing that his theory did was it explained why they could burn without fuel. Because back in the 16, 1700s, people knew that it normally takes about two full cartloads of wood to burn a common or garden witch down to ash. So they actually knew what it took to, to burn a body down. And when they go, well, this person was just lying in their bed and the bed isn't even burnt, it's just their body. Mm. That that shouldn't be possible. But his explanation of, oh no, there's this substance that we can't see, there's this basic element that's causing it. it, it in a weird way, it, it made a bit more sense than some of the other theories that were flying around. Okay. I wonder why he went with that name, though. Phlogiston. Because you could have made up any name because you're inventing the substance. Yeah. I, yeah. Where's he from? He's from Germany. So maybe it's got some sort of... Maybe there's some sort of word in German that's similar to it that makes a, a bit more sense. Yeah, it's something... That, probably in English, it's something called, like, the flame particle. Okay. Yeah. I can get behind that. The flame particle, but... The problem with the theory was that it didn't put any blame on the poor unfortunates who'd been combusted. And this simply wouldn't do. After all, if the people weren't at fault in some way, then it could happen to anyone. Even rich people. So we we can't go having that. So a second theory was developed that was called preternatural combustibility. That sounds very English. Compared to the compared to the last one, which sounded vaguely German. Right. Well that's a very English. Unfortunately phrase. it was French. Because uh, it was summed up in a very scientific and definitely not victim-blaming journal article by a man called Pierre Ami Lair. Okay. Pierre. You're uh, looking at me then like I was supposed to. I did. Well, I just... <laughs> I'm like, yeah, all right, that's his name. Okay. I was thinking <laughs> you were going to go, on. actually, I th- believe it's pronounced Pierre uh, Ami Lair or something. No? But no, you're, you're happy with... I'm pro. It sounds like a genuine French name. Pierre, yeah. <laughs> The article was called... So basically, the English guy's called John and the French guy's called Pierre. So far, yeah. Right, we're going going to move away from any kind of stereotypes here. No. (laughs) If anything, we're going to lean harder into stereotypes, actually, thinking it through. (laughs) Um, But his article was called On the Combustion of the Human Body Produced by Long and Immoderate Use of Spiritous Liquors. Right, so people are drinking too much. Yeah. So in the article, Lair insisted that all the victims of spontaneous human combustion he had studied personally were mm. excessive drinkers, excessively overweight, excessively female, excessively old, and lit from an internal source, and that they burned from the middle outwards with hands and feet usually surviving. Okay. I mean, how many people's he... He was over 20 cases. So he'd, he'd actually... F- no, when I say he'd investigated, he'd sort of heard the stories of... So he'd, he'd not even seen like no. the body afterwards or anything like that? No, no, no. So he was getting second-hand, second-hand information. information. Right, okay. And also there were quite a lot of stories about that time, such as, say, John, um, who weren't female. Yeah. You know, and weren't excessively overweight. So he kind of just came up with his theory and they kind of... All of those ones don't count mm-hmm. for whatever reason. 
uh, maybe because he was a bad scientist. It was also confirmed by him that a true case of spontaneous combustion would only burn the body and not the surrounding environment, leaving a pile of ash and greasy soot. So it couldn't be spontaneous human combustion if the body then lit other things. Is that not more because you don't know in those days? <laughs> so basically, if 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 some if somebody if you find somebody fire. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so if you, you know pudding lane or whatever and they're going oh Christ like the Great Fire of London they're going God. people are exploding all over yeah, the place yeah, yeah that was that was what caused it like oh my God what caused all these people to yeah. spontaneously combust all at once that was the original name for it, it wasn't the Great Fire of London it was the, the Great the Spontaneous great Combustion yeah. half of London just sick of life exploded so on that theory basically it was a massive kind of drinking binge yeah and then all of these people yeah a fat lady would go on a drinking binge and then no no it have had to have been for, for the inter- for all of london to oh no catch for all fire, of london, yeah. it was like some massive kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was like a apocalyptic rave <laughs> <laughs> it was probably one of those royal parties that they do was it It'll be King James's sort of like tenth anniversary, and they all went out and drank to the king's health, and that was it. Bang! Everything exploded. <laughs> um, unfortunately for the ladies who liked Nod Gin, the cases reported in the UK at the time that Lair was publishing his findings almost perfectly fit with the criteria he set out. So he he said this was it, and then just randomly all the cases in England suddenly fit that mold. Right. And I'm not sure if it's a case of. Only those were being reported as spontaneous human combustion because people were referencing him or if it was just an odd coincidence. So, on March 1st, 1772, 52-year-old Mary Clues was lying in her bed. Sorry, then... I do this all the time. Mm? Um, I think I was I was lost in your eyes. Can you just repeat that last <laughs> sentence? You know, when you sometimes you like sit there and you just think... He's... Like he's, I was, I was just, I was staring at you and then I just thought... <laughs> it's not that I'm not... I was thinking about the story... But then, uh, then I realised you jumped ahead a few sentences and I hadn't okay, been listening so to that bit. On March 1st, 1772. That's what I was thinking. So I'm trying to figure out a bit of a timeline in my head because mm. this is something I struggle with. So we were talking 16-something for the first case. Yeah, the first and spate of cases were in the 1600s and now we're coming so into the Georgian era. Right, so, so there's a bit more... We've had just over 100 years worth of this yeah. we've moved phenomena. In, yeah, we've moved into the Enlightenment sort of period. So people are going to be looking at it through more of a scientific lens now than they maybe would have been doing in the early 1600s. Okay, I'm with you. Thank you. Thanks for the summary. No worries. March 1st, 1772, 52-year-old Mary Clues was lying in her bed smoking her pipe, as all classy women still do, as far as I'm concerned. Her husband had died 18 months before, and Mary had reportedly been perpetually drunk on rum since the funeral. This had led to a deterioration in her own health to the point where she was bed-bound and reliant on the charity of her neighbours to see to her daily needs. She's a sitting duck for spontaneous human combustion by the sounds of it. She, she's fitting that profile, isn't she? Her neighbour, Mr Brooks, had left her with a few burning coals in the grate and a candle lit near the head of her bed at around 11.30 at night and assured her that another neighbour, called Mary Hollier, would check in on her around 8am following morning because presumably Mary had drawn bedpan duty that week. <laughs> However, the care check had to take place a little bit earlier than planned when it was noticed that the smoke was coming from Mary's window at about half five in the morning. Bugger. Yeah. The door was broken down and water was thrown on the flames that were emanating from the floor near the bed. Why was the wa- why was the door broken down? Because it was locked from the... No. Because she's bed bound. Oh. I'm sorry to 
pick a flaw in your story there, Joe. I yeah. I it, feel like there's some foul play going on here. Well, I'd not I'd not picked up on that, but yeah, unless Mr. Brooks locked her in and sort of handed the key to Miss Hollier, I was like, you're next in. Okay. You know, to keep her safe, because if she's bedbound and everyone knows, and the door's left unlocked, you just let yourself in. Don't, no, don't take my things. <laughs> Come and stop me. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Ooh, that's nice. I'll have that. Just taking all the food. No. <laughs> <laughs> take a, a kind of antique pipe collection. Yeah, just, and... and then finally just pull the pipe out of her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Mary's oh, Mary. only thing that's giving her any... Yeah, and her uh, rum. Yeah. We know that she's got a lot of rum lying around as well. So. I imagine all the rum is kept under her pillow. I don't think they get that. She will find them for the rum. 18 months worth of rum. 18 months worth of rum drinking. She just had barrels of the stuff. Right. Jesus Christ. <laughs> straight from straight from the tap into her mouth. Well, whether it was because the door was locked, whether there was foul play, or whether they just wanted to look wicked cool... Because, you know, it's your, it's your one opportunity to kick the door do, do down you know what, the right? building. Because you've told me, that, uh, so you obviously I've never done this before and you've kind of prepped me yeah. on all this stuff. And uh, there's only once I've ever broken a door down. Mm. And um, I'm not the most masculine of males. I don't think any of us are really in our family, to well, be you, perfectly honest. You can speak for yourself. Right, okay, That's fair fine. enough. I'm not, don't speak for me. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, I lift weights. Go on. <laughs> do you? No. I, I did once. Go oh, on. Right, okay. Um, no, I'm just saying, like, that's probably the most manly experience I've ever had. Yeah. And, and it was basically because no, there was no, there was there just happened to be no no bigger person around at the time to do it. And um, when I had to break down my sister-in-law's door. And honest to God, like... When it went, when you actually got through. Well, no, because I had this, so, so I had to do it. And I was thinking to myself, like, if I'd go for it, and then I just literally bounce off the door and it's completely, <laughs> you know, there's not a scratch on it. Like, I don't think I could take that. That would really dent my confidence. You'd you know walk I mean? away from the crisis that's happening and be like, no, sorry. Yeah. I'm out. So I shoulder charged the door and it just went like, and, and it proper like. Oh, so you gave it way more of the beans than maybe you should have Exactly. Done. Yeah. It's because I thought, well, I've got to kind of over do it because if this doesn't work <laughs> it's going to be really really embarrassing and honest to god like i'd, I'd recommend it to anybody there's oh. no feeling like it there you go these these guys <laughs> were presented with an option it's do we unlock the do-, do we unlock the door or unlatch the door or do we just go straight through it and they went i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get this chance again here we go <laughs> look like a hero yeah and they put her out with some water they, sorry, I miss. I was so focused on the door. Have you already said that that they put her out with some water? Well, they thrown they thrown water on something near the bed. I thought, considering the, the context of the topic, you'd be like, "Oh, that's Mary." Right, and it was. <laughs> She'd fallen out of bed. Um, so yeah, they were met with a disturbing scene. Only Mary's lower legs and one thigh were intact. Nearly all of the soft tissues had been totally burned away. The bones were still there and still had enough connective tissues to hold the skull and vertebrae in place, but the arm bones had separated from the torso and fallen away to the sides. And this had all happened over the space of, at most, six hours. The skull was near the head of the bed and her back was to the grate of the fireplace. And although her body was so substantially burnt, the neighbours noticed that all the bedding on the bed and the other furniture in the room was completely unburned. Wow. The scene was also verified by a doctor, a Dr. Wilmer from Coventry. 
who confirmed the report and added that he believed that Mrs. Clue had been burned so quickly due to, and this is a doctor's opinion, her solids and fluids being rendered inflammable due to her drinking. Oh, surely flammable. But that's that's what he meant at the time. Oh, inflammable. Right, yeah. right okay. <laughs> so basically, he, he turned up, took one look at her, Looked at all the um, g- the uh, rum bottles <laughs> under the <laughs> under the pillow when I yeah. thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> <laughs> Looked at all the rum bottles under the under the pillow when yeah, she she basically made herself into you know a Molotov cocktail. Okay, and then the pipe must have just well, fallen I mean, yeah. onto that. And just... Yeah, the pipe doesn't help, does it? No, it's the equivalent of lighting your own fart, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> In 1808, though. It was Ireland that became the centre for reports of drunk women doing the impression of the human torch. So we're moving across to Ireland. And I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, Joe, Ireland is its own separate nation. It shouldn't be involved in a British history podcast. Mm, But that's only a relatively short space of time that Ireland's been considered a separate independent nation. For a long time, we subjugated the people of Ireland. So I'm going to count them. I feel. Why have you took that so personally? I just just wanted to ahead of time, just in case. It's like why have we why have we gone to Ireland? They're part of the EU. We're not. They're they're a completely different thing. Well, now you know. Anyway, in eighteen oh eight, it was Ireland that became the centre for reports of drunk women doing an impression of the Human Torch. Firstly, a sixty year old called Mrs. Stout, which is a great <laughs> Irish name <laughs> for a strong strong-backed Irish woman. Oh, no, I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking, like, Guinness. Yeah, Mrs. Stout. <laughs> but it works on so many levels. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she was described uh, as a habitual dram drinker. Whiskey drinker. Yeah, she went off to bed one evening in good health before being found the next morning on the floor of her bedroom in a state one would describe... As charitably. Singed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> slightly singed. Um, she'd been burned to ash in a matter of hours while her nighty and nightcap were reportedly completely un- unburned. See, that's mad, isn't it? Mm. So it's like a burnt body, but she's wearing a perfectly fine nighty and nightcap. Is that because of all the fluids involved? What, wetting the, the clothes? So it's like, because actually, it's very hard to... St- maybe this is, again, going back to the fact that I'm not very manly. Mm. But what I tend to find is that in reality, it's very hard to start a fire. So, like, you know, like if I'm, if I'm camping or something and I mm. want to try and start a fire, the amount of effort that goes into doing that yeah. is insane to the point where I think, how can somebody accidentally set the house on fire? Because, you know, I'm trying to start a fire here and I can't do it. And it's like anything with the slightest bit of moisture in it and you're not going to get the fire going. So that's my theory anyway. Well, I mean, the other thing is this is 1808 and... These are all reports, so people may have embellished it because it sounds so much better. It's like, oh my god, she was still wearing clothes. You know, that makes it sound more eerie than if you go, oh yeah, she's burned. <laughs> uh, when attempts were made to remove the remains, though, they literally crumbled to dust. God. So she was in it, almost like you know the bodies in Pompeii that you see, yeah, just like yeah. ash, but then you try and move it, and it just like it's into fine sand. Just wow. With the nighty just slowly sacking in the middle of it. Well, that well, if that is the case, then it, because what you could try and do to to make it more eerie, as you say, and try and make it more embellish it a little bit, is if the nighty had burnt, mm. you could try and put a new nighty on 
to freak everybody out. But actually, if they just turn into dust, then there's no way oh, you'll be able to do that. The first person who found the scene is just like, I'm going to shit him up. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you're just looking for it. <laughs> yeah. Just, like, oh, is, she, is there any hats lying around? The, 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 the owner of the house is like, I can turn this into a, an attraction. Come and see the haunted house. Well, you're kind of getting into that morbid stage, oh, yeah. aren't you, as well, where, like, basically there's a lot of money in that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, the Georgians and the Victorians were very into morbid curiosities. Yeah, yeah. You get a lot of money if you could exhibit these kinds of things. But, again, if you're going to exhibit it, you want the burnt body. You wouldn't want the... And so, so, sorry, just to think about, like, the prevalence of this. Mm. So since your first case that you talked about with poor John yeah. and his family... Is 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 this kind of increasing? Are we seeing more and more of this, or is it just kind of stayed pretty steady throughout it's, those it's couple of stayed, hundred years? It stays pretty steady up until the eighteen hundreds when it starts to actually ramp up, oh, right, quite okay. um, noticeably. Because there was a there was a um, one of the things that I read for this was a dissertation by a woman from Tennessee, um, and she did a graph that showed the, all reported cases, and it really does start to ramp up. And whether that's because you had sort of like the birth of um, newspapers and, you know, sort of like you needed to fill these things and people were just more interested in it and you could print books and pamphlets and stuff. So you were just reporting it more or whether it's because it was happening more. I don't know. <laughs> oh, so all I'm thinking now is, is you're saying, you know, and they needed to fill the paper. Like for me, if that was a news story, you'd definitely read it. <laughs> Do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. That's, that's not like, oh, Christ, it's a bit of a slow news day. Or oh, has anyone exploded? That we can kind of fill in some of the pages of the magazine and stuff, compared yeah, but... to some of the crap that you listen, you, like you like you read in kind of, um, you know, kind of gossip magazines and all that kind of shit. Yeah, well, this this supernatural stuff, it was a lot more open because you know scientists weren't immediately just dismissing it out of hand that this is preposterous. They well, going, it probably wasn't oh, considered well. supernatural, was it? In a sense, because <clears throat> you actually don't know whether there is any science underpinning it or not. Um, well. It's funny you should say it wasn't considered supernatural um, because the coroner, he's now presented with, you know, a, a pile of dust. It's like, mm. can you tell us the cause of death? So it's it's a difficult day for the coroner in 1808 to try and discern that from just a pile of ash. Uh, so he shrugged his shoulders and wrote, death by visitation of God on the death certificate. Well, I'm not very, I've not got a great vocabulary, so that... God came down and did it. So visitation Visitation. Means, oh, basically like visiting yeah. rights. Like, yeah. so he's just turned up. Yeah. God. What What happened? What happened to this woman? God came down and... Smote you. Yes, yes. She was smote most mightily. <laughs> okay. Later in the same year, Mrs. O'Neill, who ran an... Est- uh, sorry, not Mrs. O'Neill, Mr. O'Neill, who... So- Sorry, is this another Irish person? This is another one, yeah. Sorry, so we've got Pierre the Frenchman, we've got John the Englishman, and we've got uh, Mr. O'Neill, the Irishman. <laughs> Mr. O'Neill, the Irishman. Are you sure there's... Have you fact-checked this? Yes. And what was the German guy called? Hans or yeah. something? Uh, no, he's called Johan. Johan, okay, right, okay. So later the same year, Mr. O'Neill, who ran an establishment called the Five Pounds Arms House in Limerick, he received a message from one of his boarders asking that he attend the property promptly as a rather large woman had just fallen through his ceiling from the room above. <laughs> also, she was on fire. <laughs> the large woman in question was identified as Mrs. Peacock, a 60-year-old woman with a reputation for indulging immoderately in intoxicating liquors. Well, she was staying above a pub, to be fair. <laughs> 
she was she was staying uh, above she was staying in the attic room so it was the cheap seats as well mm. um when the scene was inspected it was found that nothing in her room appeared burned except for the woman-shaped hole in the floor she had fallen through where the wood was slightly singed um and no potential sources of ignition were identified the local authorities were aware of Peacock as a habitual liar and fraudster, and so they were happy to chalk another one up to death by visitation of God. Though in this case, they specified that this particular visit had been for the punishment of a daring and preser- um, a daring and persevering sinner. Right, okay. So not, not only did they say God did it, but they but sort they of... they said why God yeah. did it. <laughs> <laughs> See, when you said she was... <laughs> when you first said she was a liar, I was thinking... What? <laughs> she's lying about the fact that she's gone through the floor on fire. <laughs> so, like she she fell through the floor on fire, and they just went, "Oh, that's typical Mrs. Peacock." <laughs> she's tried another one of her long cons. We're yeah. not it this time. <laughs> like, is it April first? <laughs> I didn't get that the date for that one wasn't specified. Unfortunately, no, I meant April Fool's Day. Yeah, I know. Right, it okay. would have been great if it was. <laughs> get up, Mrs. Peacock! Come on, <laughs> we've all had a laugh. <laughs> So yeah, um, but possibly the most important case of unexplained combustion took place on July 29th, 1852 in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> I know you want me to give him, I know you want me to give him a very Scottish name, unfortunately. Jock McDonald's <laughs> was minding his own business. <laughs> Drinking a dram of whiskey on the shores of Loch Ness. Whilst playing the bagpipes. No, uh, a man called John Anderson. <laughs> Sorry, John Anderson, the gladiators referee. <laughs> I hadn't even thought John of that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if it helps. Contender. Gladiators. Ready. Yes. yes, the ancestor of gladiators <laughs> referee John Anderson was a 50-year-old drunk <laughs> who made his living carting wood through the wilds of Scotland. And on the 29th, he had already had a few stiffeners to help him get through the day. And by a few stiffeners, I mean he was reported as having left one pub on his route on all fours. So that was still part of his working day. He'd had to literally crawl out of the pub. (laughs) (laughs) Why is he being employed? He seems out of a horse and cart. I was going to say, he sounds a bit freelance, this fella, doesn't he? (laughs) So he came out on all fours, somehow managed to get back into the seat of his cart right. uh, and moved off. Could you get done for drunk driving in a cart? I I don't think so. I think you could be done for the consequences. I think if you, you know, were driving that cart and then you, I don't know, hit a fence and someone's sheep got loose, you'd be done for the damage. I don't think being pissed in and of itself was... Well, yeah. Yeah, it's like, you, it was It was back when it was a more liberal time. It's like, you know your own limits. <laughs> And you'll live with the consequences, so... Oh. Ari's back. <laughs> so, yeah, um, he he did, though. He was fit to ride the cart because he got 15 minutes down the road. Uh, and then he burst into flames. But wow. what makes this case different from all the others we've discussed so far... Do I know? Have you already told me the information? Can I kind of figure out what the difference is here? Yes, you probably could. Okay. Um, he wasn't a fat a woman. Woman. Neither. Neither was our first John. No, that's true. Um, no, there was an independent witness. 
so someone actually oh right yes so all the, the all the other ones it's been someone who's gone to bed and then mm. they've kind of woken up and the people who've found them or the people who've said they've seen it have all been their family members or someone very close to them this is an independent witness because it was a random herd boy who just so happened to be in the area who saw john burning uh falling from his cart in the process because i'm guessing he wasn't particularly happy about burning he wasn't just going to sit there and take it (laughs) he's going to jump off and try and find i don't know a stream or something to jump into but yeah but if you're burning from the inside Uh, yeah you're not going to save yourself but you'd at least you'd have the sense of self-preservation to try something you're not going to sit there and go oh oh well tap out i had a good run 50 years of drunkenness uh the boy sensibly identified that this was outside of his area of expertise, though. He didn't run over to try and help. Instead, he went to get a local washerwoman. Right. Uh, who, you know... So, so he's, he's escalating this. Yeah, he's going so to... So a herd boy doesn't cut it, but washerwoman, washerwoman will know exactly well, what to do in this what situation. Does, what does a washerwoman have ready access to? Um, w- water. Yeah. So he, he went to find a water source, and she's used to carrying large buckets of water. See, the first thing I was going to say was, what was that... Um, like a washboard <laughs> and then i thought no <laughs> she, she runs she tried to washboard. beat the flames well, <laughs> well it, yeah you can beat flames out with a big corrugated bit of <laughs> metal it's metal isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. washboards are metal yeah you can play them can't you isn't that like a... if you're from southern america yeah yeah <laughs> okay. sorry the southern states of the united states of america not, not not a lot of mexicans and chileans playing the washboard although i don't know maybe they do well, you've you've told me that you've got quite a few Mexican listeners. I have seven Mexican listeners regularly. Okay. Um, so they could contact us at consistentlyeccentric at gmail dot com to let us know uh, if they play the washboard, or if it's even a thing there. They're probably not going to. They did come with buckets of water and not the washboard, unfortunately, and they chucked that at John and managed to douse the flames. But unfortunately, they were at least 14 minutes and 30 seconds um, too late as they'd gone, you know, quite a way over the amount of time a human can normally spend on fire uh, and suffer relatively little ill uh, ill effects. And John was dead. So he went to get the washerwoman, took a bit longer than he thought. And even though they did manage to put out the flames, John was dead. It was around this time, the death of John, that well-known Victorian author Charles Dickens was looking for a way of killing off one of his dastardly characters in his new serialised novel, Bleak House. Dickens had already studied some of the more famous historic cases of spontaneous human combustion, such as the Countess Cornelia Zagari Bandy in 1731. And it is possible that this latest reported case of spontaneous uh, spontaneous computer combustion, this spontaneous human combustion, closer to home, gave him the inspiration to use this manner of death for his heavy gin-drinking rag-and-bottle merchant, Crook, spelt with K at both ends of the word. Very good. And who's... Sorry, you mentioned who wrote that. Charles Dickens. Yeah. Famous novelist. Well, yeah. I mean... (laughs) What? No. No, no. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess if you like that sort of thing, you might be aware of him. To be honest, if the Muppets take it and run with the story, then you know that you're... You've uh, made it. You've made it, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, he needed a way to kill off this character. Have you seen the Bleak House version? Is John... The Muppet version of Bleak House. (laughs) (laughs) Who spontaneously combusts? Is it Fozzie Bear? (laughs) Wacka, wacka. 
The chapter with Crook's fiery death was published in December 1852, and Dickens immediately found himself challenged by his good friend, George Henry Lewes. George pointed out that there was no actual evidence for spontaneous human combustion beyond anecdotal reports, and that by Dickens putting it in his dramatic novel, it would probably convince idiots that it was accepted scientific fact. Dickens responded that as far as he was concerned it was scientific fact, and cited six cases that he felt proved his point, which included a couple of examples from Pierre, who we mentioned earlier. Uh, Luz then set about debunking each of these, and eventually Dickens did, grudgingly state in an edition of Bleak House printed in September 1853, that although he had been challenged by his old friend, he was preferring to keep an open mind, and that there was no consensus view supporting either side. Well, look, so he, he, he issued a, a thing saying, well, I guess I can't say it definitely does happen, but you can't say it definitely doesn't, so maybe it does. It sounds like there's enough evidence that they found quite a few bodies on fire. Yeah. That's the, that, that's the long and short of it. So yeah. the actual kind of... Um, how that's come about is the bit that people are not 100% sure on. Well, so you're just going off some sort of... Actually, that was less true in Victorian Britain than it had been previously because scientists actually had a new leading hypothesis for the unexplained burning deaths that has become known as the wick theory or the candle theory. Although it had first been proposed in 1783, this theory was initially dismissed, probably because the explanation it offered was so mundane and boring. Essentially, the wick theory posits that a person accidentally sets their clothes on fire and is either too infirm or too insensible from drink to extinguish it. As their fat begins to burn and liquefy, it is drawn up through the clothes that they're wearing, which act like the wick of a candle. This would lead to a long, slow burn that will focus mainly on the torso, where most fat is stored. So basically, the the body is playing the part of the wax. Yeah, and your clothes are playing the part of the wick of the candle. The theory explains why most of the mysterious deaths were women, because women tend to have a higher fat composition. It explains the role of alcohol. Yeah, because it's not that the alcohol's you know setting, uh, you're not lighting the alcohol, but it's leaving someone who may not notice straight away that they're on fire, and by the time that they do notice, they're unable to to put it out. And it also explains the observation that the extremities uh, and the local area are often often left unburned. Be- uh, right. Okay. It could also. What about the f- clothes though? Because if the clothes are acting as the wick, mm. that's the only thing that doesn't kind of stand up there. Because if the, you know what I mean. Because if the source of ignition starts with the clothes, mm. why are all the clothes still intact? Well, there's only the one story where the clothes were completely intact, okay. and that I mean, I think it's just it made for a better story. Okay. Um, it also could even explain the tendency for the phenomena to mainly affect the elderly, as osteoporosis would increase the likelihood that the bones would also break down, even at a relatively low heat, as crematorium staff today know full well, because. I looked into it and apparently it only takes a third of the time to burn an old corpse than it does to burn someone who died in the prime of their lives. So your body's basically, as you're getting older, your body's breaking down anyway. And it takes a lot less time to to, um, cremate. But they don't watch it cremate. No, but they have to know because they're trying to get through all the bodies. They, they have to pull it out at the end. Yeah, I know. But what, yeah, but I'm not, but it's not like a, it's not like a cake. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like on Bake Off, when they're kind of looking at the they're looking at the oven window to see whether it's that right level of caramelization on top. Like sure, no, surely to God, su- that doesn't. When you happen. were setting up crematoriums, you'd be trying to figure out so that you could 
you know, get the most efficiency out of them, how long it takes. And through time of an experimentation, they found out that actually you don't need as long to burn an old body as you do to burn, you know, a, a, an adult in the 40s. So, okay. So it's just a way of, yeah. <clears throat> it's, it's an efficiency. <laughs> it's an efficiency saving, yeah. Okay. I mean, come on. When you're an undertaker or, you know, you run a crematorium, essentially corpses are just part of your business, aren't they? The, you can't you can't see them as individual discrete people or you go mad. you just got to see them as a job that you do. I imagine. I don't, I don't think you get really emotionally invested in the lives of everybody that you're putting through. Like, Yeah, I'm not saying that, but... But at the same time, I don't know, what does it matter if they're in the oven for a little bit longer? Do you know what I mean? It's the same outcome. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, it's when you... I, what I'm, when saying, is, what I'm saying is, if I was in that situation, I would rather, if I knew that two hours did the job, mm. right? You'd I would, rather leave I would, it a I would, I would bung, I would bung it in the oven. I'm pretending it's a cake now. Okay. If I knew two hours would do the job, I'd put the oven, I'd put the cake in the oven for the two hours. Mm. And then open the oven after two hours, knowing that the job was done. I wouldn't be kind of opening it every fifteen minutes and sticking mm. like a little skewer in to see whether that. Yeah, was... but at some point when they were developing crematoriums, somebody had to do that in order to figure it out. Oh right, okay. You know, you've, you 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 weren't just. It, it was a process of developing a crematorium equipment. It wasn't just one person one day went. There you go, fantastic. It it works. It's been developed over time. Okay, (laughs) we can move on then. (laughs) It is unfortunate indeed that Dickens did not provide this extra information as Lou's fears regarding the impact of the book on public perception of spontaneous human combustion proved to be true. And for at least two unfortunate women, this led to grave consequences indeed. So you remember right at the very, very start when you said, well, people would think that they could get away with crimes um, by... Like pretending it was a yeah yeah, well it turns out people were stupid enough to to do such a thing to try and because less than a year after the publication of Crook's death on November first, eighteen fifty three, Mary Ann Sturgeon, the housekeeper for Mister Goodwin at Burnham Abbey Farm in Buckinghamshire. Okay. Uh, I don't know why I gave you all of those details. Well, you, have you ever seen that? Like, so I've seen TV shows, like mm. old TV shows, and it'll be almost like a kind of a talk show or something. And it'll be from like the seventies and someone will have written in Mm. a letter with a question to like a celebrity or something. And they literally give out the, the full address of the person who's like written in a 422. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like the weirdest thing. (laughs) He's out at the moment, you know, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah, Mr. Johnson of 422 Hampton Road, currently on a cruise in the Caribbean for the next three weeks, <laughs> yeah. asks. Um, so, yeah, um, this Marianne, she'd left a friend's house at 9pm to go back to the farm to make supper for Moses Hatto, a groom who worked with her there. And they both had rooms at the farm. What's a groom? Uh, dealing with the horses. Ah, oh, right, okay. Hatto was known to be enamoured with Marianne, who'd been politely rebuffing his advances for months. But she was still the housekeeper and was determined to stay on civil terms with her work colleague. So she was still going to go home and make him his supper because that was one of her duties. And, you know, she can be civil. Mm-hmm. She can she can ignore his inappropriateness. Yeah, they just she's trying to keep a good working relationship. Yeah. Unfortunately, on this particular night, Hatto was not willing to take no for an answer. And he tried to force himself on Maryam while their master was away from the house on business. 
Eventually, Hatto became so enraged that he reached for the closest thing to hand and swung it at Mary Ann's head. Whatever the object was, it was heavy enough to cave in the young woman's skull and to dislodge at least one tooth. Mary Ann fell to the floor, dead. It was at this point... Sorry, it was the tooth? <laughs> oh, it comes into play. Oh, right, okay. Because yeah. I was going to say, like, <clears throat> just just leave it at the fact that you've just caved someone's skull in. I don't need to know about and it. And dislodged one tooth. <laughs> and chipped, chipped, chipped a nail. It was at this point, though, that Hatto decided that staging the death as an unfortunate incident of spontaneous human combustion was the way to go. He put Mary Ann's body in her room, covered it in oil, and set it on fire. To buy time for the fire to do its business, and to provide an alibi, he woke the groundsman from his little cottage out in the farm grounds, and said that he'd heard a disturbance in the stables, and he was worried about his beautiful horses. <laughs> the two men investigated, but they found nothing. Right. <clears throat> it was the owner of the farm, Mr Goodwin, who discovered smoke coming from under Mary Ann's door. He also discovered a tooth and a hairpin in the corridor outside, which was suspicious. It was also suspicious that there was dried blood on the door handle. He'd not done a good... <laughs> He'd not done a good job of covering his tracks then. Not to this point. Because in those days, right... Yeah, circumstantial evidence was all you needed. It was like, yeah, you could have easily got away with stuff. Because mm. as long as you cleaned... Basically, a good tidy, mm. and you could get away with murder. Well, uh, Mr Goodwin, he went to get the groundsman and Hatto, because he didn't know what he was going to find in there, and together the three men broke down the door. Hooray! <laughs> Again, door wasn't locked. Yeah. <laughs> Smash. if Hatto hoped that they would find just a pile of ashes he was sadly mistaken Mary Ann had been a thin young woman and it was unlikely that the wick effect would have produced the results Hatto wanted even with the use of an accelerant however it also didn't help that Hatto had thrown the fuel only on her legs and had set these on fire as a result only her legs had been burning uh, and to be fair they were completely destroyed so he'd done a really good job up to about mid-thigh Right. Okay. That was all destroyed. Uh, what wasn't destroyed was the evidence of how she'd actually been murdered. Well, yeah, because if you've caved someone's head in, surely... You, uh, I think he... Why would you start at the toes? I, I, he was just thinking, if I, start, if I start burning it, a bit like an incense stick, if I start burning it, it'll just work its way through the body. And he figured he'd given it enough time, and then walked in and was like, oh, no. Oh. Uh, Hatto. Yeah. Hatto was uh, quickly convicted uh, of the crime and he was executed by hanging shortly afterwards so it didn't work for him but while att- while the attempt to stage the spontaneous combustion by hatto could be attributed to a desperate man clutching at straws mm-hmm. you know he he had to do something uh, so I, I suppose it's not a crime of passion is it you could say it's a crime of passion he was very passionate about her yeah it usually works both ways yeah. doesn't it when it's a crime of passion yeah. Oh, well, you, you're normally in a relationship for a crime of passion and it's about the two this of you was, sort this of escalating. Was, this was unrequainted. This was a creepy guy. Yeah, don't some... say unrequainted love. This was stalking and sexual harassment is what it was that escalated to murder. Yeah. 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 But while it, he was just clutching at straws, the same could not be said in the case of Elizabeth Pulley on March 16th, 1860. Elizabeth, at least, was a bit close to the profile of a person who might be susceptible to spontaneous combustion. She was elderly, she was a little overweight, and let's just go ahead and say she was a drinker. Why not? She liked gin. Do we do know she was No, no, I'm just maligning this dead woman. But it, it works for the narrative of the story. So she'd not been seen for a couple of days, and her concerned neighbours, they were like, well, when she's on a binge, 
we might not see her for one or two days, but we, we're up to three or four now. This isn't like this isn't like old. She usually sa- checks in. Yeah, a, a few days into the. We bin. at least see her out in the back garden screaming at the geese or something. <laughs> so the concerned neighbours they contacted the police because we've got to the point where we actually have police forces. Wow, okay. That's how far through history we've come. Where are we up to here? Uh, eighteen sixty. So it's proto police. See, I always because we were well. I think for me the kind of the the beginning of the modern era is 1875 that's the point where i can kind of is that due to blackburn rovers being formed yeah so okay, fine. For, for me like 1875 is is kind of that's the point where i can at least relate to some something some some okay. bits of how you know people live their lives i'm not saying it's perfect you know the internet was miles off but <laughs> like there's there's at least some things that you can draw from that are probably not too dissimilar mm. yeah we're starting to get there yeah in some ways that's where it was cut so we're, we're 15 years before the start of what you consider modern modern period okay okay so they found elizabeth oh the police entered via the back door of the property they didn't they didn't kick the front door in because the front door was already open so they ran around the back and, <laughs> kicked that one and shoulder through. charged it <laughs> having this today yeah it was like the start of the police force and they've just invented that thing that big barricade the, the thing battering ram battering thing, yeah. ram thing and they breach like, breach <laughs> breach they bang just, they were just itching to how good would that job be like you're just you, the guy who if, breaches the door because you're the battering ram guy so it's like it's like all of the reward and none of the risk yeah because you then back off yeah exactly so you, sm- you basically you smash the door in even it doesn't matter who is in there and how dangerous they are you're not going to have the sense to be trying to stop the door from kind of being caved in by a massive bit of metal. And then, yeah, you just stand to the side and then let the other guys come in. Mm. That's like, the yeah, I think in the police force. You want to be the guy knocking the door down? That or the guy with the dogs. Oh, yeah, just go! go! Because the other thing is, you're not going to run at the guy with the Alsatian. Mm, True. You know, yeah. yeah. So if I do have a bit of a change of career path, and, I, and you go into the police. It's like, can I police. either be the guy who hits the door down or the guy who plays with the dog? Basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think they make you be, a, you know, just like a, a plod for starters. I don't think you get to just immediately jump to those higher level things. It's like if you went in and went, I've been watching, you join the police, you're like, I've been watching that police interceptors. When do I get my fast car? When are you going to give me a beamer? Come on. But no, 10 years on the force before you get considered for that programme. I think if you're oh. already good with dogs, you might get into the canine unit. You reckon? Yeah, like if you, you could. What, what, oh, is this why you? Is this why you've bought a dog? Is this why you're training Margot up? Um, so you can go up to the police and go, "Hey, hey, you can train this girl. You can train anything." Um, it's like a hyperactive sheep. Come on, I, I'm more confident. <clears throat> Good. Yeah, you should be. I think I've. Yeah, I think I. I think if the canine squad came round, because she's only seven months old, and you know. She's pretty well behaved. I think You'd be impressed by they'd be impressed by your work so far. Yeah, I think so. Okay, well, they broke down the door, and they found Elizabeth lying near the fireplace, which had been set for a fire but not lit. The body was much injured by fire, and the rest of the property appeared generally. And the rest of the property appeared generally undamaged. Tellingly, there was a bottle of sherry on the table with a wine glass, and the sherry appeared to be missing about three glasses worth. Right, okay. Okay. It seemed that a drunk Elizabeth Pulley, presumably in this scenario a functioning alcoholic, had been trying to light a fire when she'd accidentally ignited her clothes. Unable to extinguish herself, she'd been overcome by smoke and pain, collapsing where she was found. 
a clear case of preternatural combustibility. Oh dear, poor old Elizabeth. Luckily, at least one of the police decided to look a bit closer and noticed that, although the house was tidy, a number of valuables appeared to have been carefully removed. It was also noticed that some burnt cord and a human tooth were in the ashes near the body and that there were signs of strangulation around the neck. Someone had come to Elizabeth's house with a premeditated plan to stage a robbery murder as death by spontaneous human combustion. The person turned out to be a cabinet maker named Corby who was found to be in possession of two gold rings, one inscribed Thomas Pulley and the other Elizabeth Pulley. The moral of the story being, don't try to fence your stolen goods less than two streets from where you stole them. See, I thought you were going to circle back to the kind of carpentry theme, because we started with a carpenter, didn't we? Yeah, carpentry is dangerous. Yeah. Just a really dangerous profession to get into. The other thing is, like, so... It's because you inhale all that sawdust, so you are then just naturally ready to combust at a moment's notice. That's a good theory, actually. Because they wouldn't have worn dust masks. Yeah, they wouldn't. And what do you use... You know, when you're really trying to get um, a a fire going in a grate and you can't get it going, wood shavings are great to use as kindling, aren't they? Yeah, I just realised I was nodding then, and that's no good to anybody. Yeah. No, it is. is. It's validation for me. Oh, right. So I'm I'm happy with that. Um, But, again, sloppy. Because if you've strangled someone with a rope, right? Yeah. The only... The only place that that is incriminating is if you can't be bothered putting it in your pocket and, and taking away. it back home. I suppose. But I, I guess, that again, it was, I assume everything will be burnt to ash, so it won't matter. So the the fact that she was missing a tooth, the fact that... Because he put the rope on the body mm. and just went, well, it's all going to turn to ash. Who cares? Plus, the other thing is, right, so everyone's struggling here, it seems, to just light a fire. Yeah. Which I've previously said is quite difficult. Mm. However, I in the kind of age that I'm living in, it's not something that I need to do every two minutes. Whereas for these guys, that was how they kept warm every night. Mm. But I think one of the issues that you may have had is like the three glasses of sherry. He may have, you know, I know how a Christmas pudding gets set alight, chuck the sherry on. And then as he's running out the door... Well, he knows it... how a fire's set alight because that's how he warms no, I... his house. I know, but I guess in an emergency, just chuck a load of sherry on it. A flame comes up, you run out, but those kind of alcohol burns off very quickly. So it wouldn't really do as much damage as you were hoping. Yeah. And the other thing with the Christmas pudding theory is after you've lit the sherry or whatever, you eat the Christmas pudding. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? You're not like, you know, oh Christ, this happens every Christmas. I just end up with this like complete, I just end up with this big pile of ash. Why do we even do this? (laughs) Yeah. Spent hours making that pudding. (laughs) Jesus. Corby, um, he committed suicide in prison before the trial, which is, to my mind, quite close to an admission of guilt. Well, it's kind of what's going to happen to you anyway, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah, oh, well, he's just trying to avoid the hanging. But we're past that gory stage, aren't we, where you're going to get, like, hung, drawn and quartered and all that Well, you'd only get hung, drawn and quartered for treason. So for murder, he'd be hung, but I think we're still just... Before the long drop method, so it would be strangulation rather than broken neck. Okay. So, yeah, there was a vested interest in not having to go through up to 15 minutes of slowly strangling. Fair enough. But it's not like the kind of... No, it's not the blood and Cutting stuff out and and burning it in front of you while you're still alive kind of thing. No, no, that uh, Georgian Britain was when that was officially kind of knocked on the head. Very progressive. Mm, They were in, in many ways. You know, considering what had come before, yes, fair enough. I mean, we can look back at them now as brutal. 
See, I'm not really up on kind of kings and queens, if I'm being... Mm. Henry VIII, that's probably about Tudors, it. That's Tudors and Stuarts, because yeah. I did it at primary school, because yeah. I think everybody did it in primary mm. school. Georgian, mm. is that where we're talking about... Because obviously Jack lived in Brighton for a while. So is the pavilion... Yeah, is that the pavilion. All... So, and this is really butchering it. The Stuarts pissed everybody off to the point where we invited a Protestant king over, William of Orange and Mary. They came over and took over um and when the daughter queen anne i believe it was their daughter couldn't produce children they went oh shit next in line's a catholic what we'll do is we'll go back through the family tree and we'll find the next closest relative who's a protestant and they came up with a german bloke called george and invited him over to be king because we're just like we're not going to continue this catholic protestant flip-flopping because every time we do half the population are sort of you know ostracized and they're going to be murdered in their beds so let's just stick with protestantism now for the rest of time see all i was going to say was i've been to the, You've all, been I, to the brighton pavilion. all i was going it's to lovely, say was i've been to the brighton pavilion and he had a pet giraffe that was all yeah. i was going to say yeah, wonderful which they called a leopard because they said it looked a little they didn't know what it, it, it looked a bit like a leopard no it was, way it was a, what is it leopard it, it, it's kind of half leopard half something else like i think they said it was like half leopard half camel or something that was like the two animals that they could use to describe a giraffe because they didn't know what a giraffe looked like also they did the german thing of just put two things together well i think it kind of describes I, it doesn't yeah, what it? what is the german word for hedgehog essentially translated spike pig is it yeah is it no, they're, but they're all like that. It's like everything is something pig, something schwein. You know, what's a hippo? Mud schwein. <laughs> just, let's just combine words. That's why Germans have a word for everything, because they're all combination words. It's yeah, very analytical. And that's, you know, there's countless combinations. Mm. Once you get into that kind of thing, it's like the Rubik's Cube. Uh, this is something like a billion combinations of a Rubik's Cube. I should imagine there would be something high. But yeah. you, you solve it using an algorithm rather than actually working it out. That's how people can do it so fast. It's just a series of moves that you learn very quickly. Becky Stewart taught me that. Anyway, yeah, he committed suicide. The improvements in forensics and general perception of the public shifting towards scepticism means that people quickly stop trying to use spontaneous human combustion as a means of covering up crimes. However, the reports of occurrences did not reduce and in fact, recorded instances of potential spontaneous human combustion were more common in the 20th century than they were in the 19th. Wow. And throughout the 20th century? Yep. So kind of in our lifetime? Oh, yes. Though wow. it is now accepted that the Wick theory is the most likely explanation, with the BBC even doing a special uh, where they tested the theory by dressing a dead pig in a jumper and setting it on fire, which you can find on YouTube. It's great. Um, there are still competing theories out there. Not least of all, in a 1976 book by Michael Harrison called Fire from Heaven, which suggests telepathic auras, people with strong personal magnetic fields, and even ritual dancing as things that could lead to people bursting into flames. It was not taken all that seriously. However, his very edited examples of cases that are still used by people to this day is this a book that you bought? No, I didn't buy this one for this. But apparently he'll give an example and go, uh, a woman in America burst into flames in her hotel room and no one could explain why. And then if you actually look into it, the hotel burned down. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, it's just like, yes, <laughs> while it's true, she did at some point catch fire. 
I I think we can attribute it to outside means. Could be a coincidence. Yeah, or, you know, a story where someone was suspected spontaneous human combustion and then it was found that, uh, you know, there was petrol all over the body and that it clearly been lit by an outside agent. He'd just go, and the body just burned. So, so have instances stayed the same up until recently? We're, well, we'll we'll get into it, but yeah, there's still reports of spontaneous human combustion. Okay. Or potential spontaneous human combustion. But what it is, it's more, it's more unexplained fires. So what it is, is every every death by fire is being fully investigated nowadays. And there will still be some that come into a, um, a category where it's like, well, we can't actually fully explain how this fire started or why it burned in the way it did. But the fire marshals aren't calling it spontaneous human combustion. They're just saying it's unexplained. Because the, 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 they don't think it's, oh, this person was lit from a, an inner fire and just burned from the inside out. They're just going, well, we can't give you all the details on how it happened. So we're just going to say unexplained because we don't want to give a false representation. So by trying to be more scientific, they leave in a, an in for people who are very unscientific to go, ha ha, see, unexplained. So that must mean that... Yeah. Ex- so I will attach my own wild theory yeah, to it. Yeah. That person was doing ritual dancing. He was a known at the local tango club. So it must have been that. He was doing the Lombarda, which is the forbidden dance, and he, he received a visitation from God. Amazingly, though, there are still reported cases that are being recorded as spontaneous human combustion in the 21st century. Wow. On December 22nd, 2010, in Galway, Ireland, the burned remains of a 76-year-old man called Michael Farity... Oh, he sounds kind. ...were found in his house. He was he was a grandfather to 80 children. And he had them all round at Christmas... Even days before, days before this. Are you this, making this up? No, days before this. Are you not making this up? Him. And how old is he? 76. What? He's got loads and loads of grandkids. Oh, and there are pictures Joe. of him dressed as Santa a few days before. Are you being all serious? The kids around as he was handing out the presents. Ho, ho, ho. Are you being serious? No. Thing is, Joe, this is too close for comfort now. I know it is. Because this is 10 years ago. This is te- well, 11 years ago. Yeah. 12 years ago. Nearly. Well, nearly. Yeah. No, because no, it was December. 11 years ago, yeah. So. That's too soon. The fire. Too soon after. This, the, the, if you have you got any listeners in Ireland? Yes, um, we do. Yeah, so you, you could, can't you can't be sued for besmirching the dead. It's one of the one of the reasons that I do a history podcast. You can say whatever you want about someone when they've died. You can't be done for slander. I don't think we're going to slander him, are we? No, no, no. He, I, I know nothing about the man's life. He was just this seventy-six-year-old man who lived alone in um, Galway in Ireland. And he was found, he was reported missing and he was found um, burnt in his house. The fire was reported by the Garda to have been centred almost exclusively on the body, with only the floor immediately below and the ceiling immediately above showing any signs of burn damage whatsoever. There was no evidence to suggest that anyone had entered or left the house because they'd had to kick the door in (laughs) in order to get in, and no source of fire could be determined. When the coroner, Dr. Kieran McLaughlin, was asked to determine a cause of death, he consulted some textbooks, presumably fires from heaven, uh, and eventually gave the following statement in September 2011. This fire was thoroughly investigated, and I'm left with the conclusion that it fits into the category of spontaneous human combustion, for which there is still no adequate explanation. And even as recently as 2017, 
there have been cases that have been reported by newspapers as spontaneous human combustion. So it is still alive and well with us, even to this day. So we've covered, what, from 1613 to 2017? So 400 years, and we still can't fully explain how these things happen. And that is the story of spontaneous human combustion in the UK. Wow. Um. (laughs) (laughs) So... You ask for a scientific story, <laughs> boom, science. And are there, like, proper papers that you can read all about this? Yeah, um, I'm guessing there's been, like, in kind of medical, medical journals, journals yeah. and all sorts of things. Even towards pre-Second pre World War, there were still, like, um, doctors investigating it and trying to do a proper investigation. Towards the second half of the 20th century, when spiritualism and mysticism and all the sort of hippie movement came in, people sort of moved away from investigating it because they didn't want to be lumped in with all that pseudoscientific bullshit that was going around. But yeah, up until that point, people were trying their best to understand because they are still unexplained fires. Um, To this day, we still have things that have been said, well, based on all the things we know about how fires start, how, you know, how they progress, we can't explain what's happened here. I really enjoyed that. Good. I thought you would. (laughs) It was when I thought you were going down a kind of... I, it is sciencey, I suppose, even mm. though th- there's no real. Well, isn't isn't spiritualism and mysticism just science we haven't understood yet? Um, he's back. Perfect timing. You can you? you can definitely uh, stop it. We we got it. We got it in the can. Is it in the can? Yeah. Nice one.